Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I'd jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to row.co slash snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. by Francis Hodgson Burnett, published in 1911. If you'd like to listen to this story's episodes in order, go to snoozecast.com slash series. In the last episode, Colin wakes up the manor in the middle of the night with his hysterics. The staff look to Mistress Mary as the only one bold enough and suitable enough to help in the situation. So Mary is brought in to Colin's room. Let's get cozy. Close your eyes. Relax your body into the softness of your bed. was a poor thin back to look at when it was bared. Every rib could be counted, and every joint of the spine, though Mistress Mary did not count them as she bent over and examined them with a solemn, savage little face. She looked so sour and old-fashioned that the nurse turned her head aside to hide the twitching of her mouth. 
There was just a minute's silence, for even Colin tried to hold his breath while Mary looked up and down his spine, and down and up, as intently as if she had been the great doctor from London. There's not a single lump there, she said at last. There's not a lump as big as a pin, except backbone lumps, and you can only feel them because you're thin. I've got backbone lumps myself, and they used to stick out as much as yours do until I began to get fatter, and I am not fat enough yet to hide them. There's not a lump as big as a pin. If you ever say there is again, I shall laugh. No one but Colin himself knew what effect those crossly spoken childish words had on him. If he had ever had anyone to talk to about his secret terrors, if he had ever dared to let himself ask questions, if he had had childish companions and had not lain on his back, in the huge, closed house, breathing an atmosphere heavy with the fears of people who were most of them ignorant and tired of him. He would have found out that most of his fright and illness was created by himself. But he had lain and thought of himself and his aches and weariness for hours and days and months and years. And now that an angry, unsympathetic little girl insisted obstinately that he was not as ill as he thought he was, he actually felt as if she might be speaking the truth. I didn't know, ventured the nurse, that he thought he had a lump on his spine. His back is weak because he won't try to sit up. I could have told him there was no lump there. Colin gulped and turned his face a little to look at her. Could you? He said pathetically. Yes, sir. There said Mary, and she gulped too. Colin turned on his face again, and but for his long-drawn broken breaths, which were the dying down of his storm of sobbing, he lay still for a minute, though great tears streamed down his face and wet the pillow. Actually, the tears meant that a curious, great relief had come to him. Presently, he turned and looked at the nurse again, and strangely enough, he was not like a Raja at all as he spoke to her. Do you think I could live to grow up, he said. 
The nurse was neither clever nor soft-hearted, but she could repeat some of the London doctor's words. You probably will, if you will do what you are told to do and not give way to your temper and stay out a great deal in the fresh air. Colin's tantrum had passed, and he was weak and worn out with crying, and this perhaps made him feel gentle. He put out his hand a little towards Mary, and I am glad to say that, her own tantrum having passed, she was softened too, and met him halfway with her hand, so that it was a sort of making up. I'll, I'll go out with you, Mary, he said. I shan't hate fresh air if we can find... He remembered just in time to stop himself from saying, if we can find the secret garden. And he ended, I shall like to go out with you if Dickon will come and push my chair. I do so want to see Dickon and the fox and the crow. The nurse remade the tumbled bed and shook and straightened the pillows. Then she made Colin a cup of beef tea and gave a cup to Mary, who really was very glad to get it after the excitement. Mrs. Medlock and Martha gladly slipped away and after everything was neat and calm and in order, the nurse looked as if she would very gladly slip away also. She was a healthy young woman who resented being robbed of her sleep, and she yawned quite openly as she looked at Mary, who had pushed her big footstool close to the four-posted bed and was holding Colin's hand. You must go back and get your sleep out, she said. He'll drop off after a while, if he's not too upset. Then I'll lie down myself in the next room. Would you like me to sing you a song that I learned from my ayah? Mary whispered to Colin. His hand pulled hers gently, and he turned his tired eyes on her appealingly. Oh, yes, he answered. It's such a soft song. I shall go to sleep in a minute. I will put him to sleep, Mary said to the yawning nurse. You can go if you like. Well said the nurse, with an attempt at reluctance. If he doesn't go to sleep in half an hour, you must call me. Very well, answered Mary. The nurse was out of the room in a minute, and as soon as she was gone, Colin pulled Mary's hand again. I almost told, he said, but I stopped myself in time. I won't talk, and I'll go to sleep, 
but you said you had a whole lot of nice things to tell me. Have you... Do you think you have found out anything at all about the way into the secret garden? Mary looked at his poor little tired face and swollen eyes, and her heart relented. Yes, she answered, I think I have. And if you will go to sleep, I will tell you tomorrow. His hand quite trembled. Oh, Mary, he said. Oh, Mary, if I could get into it, I think I should live to grow up. Do you suppose that instead of singing the Aya song, you could just tell me softly, as you did that first day, what you imagine it looks like inside? I am sure it will make me go to sleep. Yes, answered Mary. Shut your eyes. He closed his eyes and lay quite still, and she held his hand and began to speak very slowly and in a very low voice. I think it has been left alone so long that it has grown all into a lovely tangle. I think the roses have climbed and climbed and climbed until they hang from the branches and walls and creep over the ground, almost like a strange gray mist. Some of them have died, but many are alive, and when the summer comes, there will be curtains and fountains of roses. I think the ground is full of daffodils and snowdrops and lilies and iris working their way out of the dark. Now the spring has begun, perhaps... Perhaps. The soft drone of her voice was making him stiller and stiller, and she saw it and went on. Perhaps they are coming up through the grass. Perhaps there are clusters of purple crocuses and gold ones even now. Perhaps the leaves are beginning to break out and uncurl, and perhaps the gray is changing, and a green gauze veil is creeping, and creeping over everything. And the birds are coming to look at it, because it is so, so safe and still. And perhaps, 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 very softly and slowly indeed, she said, the robin has found a mate and is building a nest.
and Colin was asleep. Chapter 18 Thou must not waste no time. Of course, Mary did not waken early the next morning. She slept late because she was tired. And when Martha brought her breakfast, she told her that though Colin was quite quiet, he was ill and feverish as he always was after he had worn himself out with a fit of crying. Mary ate her breakfast slowly as she listened. He says he wishes thou would please go and see him as soon as thou can, Martha said. It's queer what a fancy he's took to thee. That did give it to him last night for sure, didn't thou? Nobody else would have dared to do it. Ah, poor lad. He's been spoiled till salt won't save him. Mother says as the two worst things that can happen to a child is never to have his own way or always to have it. She doesn't know which is the worst. That was in a fine temper thyself last night. But he says to me when I went into his room, Please ask Miss Mary if she'll please come and talk to me. Think of him saying, please. Will you go, miss? I'll run and see Dickon first, said Mary. No, I'll go and see Colin first and tell him. I know what I'll tell him. With a sudden inspiration. She had her hat on when she appeared in Colin's room, and for a second, he looked disappointed. He was in bed. His face was pitifully white, and there were dark circles round his eyes. I'm glad you came, he said. My head aches, and I ache all over because I'm so tired. Are you going somewhere? Mary went and leaned against his bed. I won't be long, she said. I'm going to Dickon, but I'll come back. Colin, it's... it's something about the garden. His whole face brightened, and a little color came into it. Oh, it is? He cried out. I dreamed about it all last night. I heard you say something about gray changing into green, and I dreamed I was standing in a place all filled with trembling little green leaves, and there were birds on nests everywhere, and they looked so soft and still. I'll lie and think about it until you come back. In five minutes, Mary was with Dickon in their garden. The fox and the crow were with him again, and this time he had brought two tame squirrels. I came over on the pony this morning, he said. Ah, he is a good little chap, Jump is. I brought these two in my pockets. This here one, he's called Nut. And this here other one's called Shell. When he said nut, 
One squirrel leaped onto his right shoulder, and when he said shell, the other one leaped onto his left shoulder. When they sat down on the grass with Captain curled at their feet, Soot solemnly listening on a tree, and Nut and Shell nosing about close to them, it seemed to Mary that it would be scarcely bearable to leave such delightfulness. But when she began to tell her story, somehow the look in Dickens' funny face gradually changed her mind. She could see he felt sorrier for Colin than she did. He looked up at the sky and all about him. Just listen to them birds. The world seems full of them, all whistling and piping, he said. Look at them darting about and hearken at them calling to each other. Come springtime, seems like as if the whole world's calling. The leaves is uncurling so you can see them. And, my word, the nice smells there is about. Sniffing with his happy, turned-up nose. And that poor lad lying shut up and seeing so little that he gets to thinking of things as sets him screaming. Ugh. My, we mun get him out here. We mun get him watching and listening and sniffing up the air and get him just soaked through with sunshine. And we munnot lose no time about it. When he was very much interested, he often spoke quite broad Yorkshire, though at other times he tried to modify his dialect so that Mary could better understand but she loved his broad Yorkshire and had in fact been trying to learn to speak it herself. So she spoke a little now. Aye, that we mun, she said, which meant, yes, indeed, we must. I'll tell thee what us'll do first, she proceeded, and Dickon grinned because when the little wench tried to twist her tongue into speaking Yorkshire, it amused him very much. He's took a greatly fancy to thee. He wants to see thee, and he wants to see Soot and Captain. When I go back to the house to talk to him, I'll ax him if thou cannot come and see him tomorrow morning, and bring the creatures with thee. And then, in a bit... When there's more leaves out, and happen a bud or two, we'll get him to come out, and thou push him in this chair, and we'll bring him here and show him everything. When she stopped herself, she was quite proud. She had never made a long speech in Yorkshire before, and she had remembered very well. Thou mun talk a bit of Yorkshire like that to Mr. Colin. Dickon chuckled. Thou make him laugh, and there's not as good for ill folk as laughing is. Mother says she believes as half an hour's good a laugh every morning a cure a chap as was making ready for typhus fever. I'm going to talk Yorkshire to him this very day, said Mary, chuckling herself. 
The garden had reached the time when every day and every night it seemed as if magicians were passing through it, drawing loveliness out of the earth and the boughs with wands. It was hard to go away and leave it all, particularly as Nut had actually crept onto her dress and Shell had scrambled down the trunk of the apple tree they sat under and stayed there looking at her with inquiring eyes. But she went back to the house, and when she sat down close to Colin's bed, he began to sniff as Dickon did, though not in such an experienced way. You smell like flowers and... and fresh things, he cried out quite joyously. What is it you smell of? It's cool and warm and sweet all at the same time. It's the wind of the moor, said Mary. It comes to sit in on the grass under a tree with Dickon and with Captain and with Soot and Nut and Shell. It's the springtime and out of doors and sunshine. It smells so greatly. She said it as broadly as she could and you do not know how broadly Yorkshire sounds until you have heard someone speak it. Colin began to laugh. What are you doing? He said. I never heard you talk like that before. How funny it sounds. I'm giving thee a bit of Yorkshire, answered Mary triumphantly. I cannot talk as gravely as Dickon and Martha can, but thus sees I can shape a bit. Doesn't thou understand a bit of Yorkshire when thou hears it? And the Yorkshire lad thyself, bred and born. Ah, I wonder thou'rt not shamed of thyself. And then she began to laugh too, and they both laughed until they could not stop themselves and they laughed until the room echoed, and Mrs. Medlock, opening the door to come in, drew back into the corridor and stood, listening, amazed. Well, upon my word, she said, speaking rather broad Yorkshire herself, because there was no one to hear her, and she was so astonished. Whoever heard the like? Whoever on earth would have heard that? There was so much to talk about. It seemed as if Colin could never hear enough of Dickon and Captain and Soot and Nut and Shell and the pony whose name was Jump. Mary had run round into the wood with Dickon to see Jump. He was a tiny little shaggy moor pony with thick locks hanging over his eyes, and with a pretty face and a nuzzling velvet nose. He was rather thin with living on more grass, but he was as tough and wiry as if the muscle in his little legs had been made of steel springs. He had lifted his head and whinnied softly the moment he saw Dickon, and he had trotted up to him, and put his head across his shoulder, and then Dickon had talked into his ear, and Jump had talked back in odd little whinnies and puffs 
and snorts. Dickon had made him give Mary his small front hoof and kiss her on the cheek with his velvet muzzle. Does he really understand everything Dickon says? Colin asked. It seems as if he does, answered Mary. Dickon says anything will understand if you're friends with it for sure. But you have to be friends for sure. Colin lay quiet a little while, and his strange gray eyes seemed to be staring at the wall. But Mary saw he was thinking. I wish I was friends with things, he said at last, but I'm not. I never had anything to be friends with, and I can't bear people. Can't you bear me? asked Mary. Yes, I can, he answered. It's funny, but I even like you. Ben Weatherstaff said I was like him, said Mary. He said he'd warrant we'd both got the same nasty tempers. I think you are like him, too. We are all three alike. You and I and Ben Weatherstaff. He said we were neither of us much to look at, and we were as sour as we looked. But I don't feel as sour as I used to before I knew the robin and Dickon. Did you feel as if you hated people? Yes, answered Mary without any affectation. I should have detested you, if I had seen you before I saw the robin and Dickon. Colin put out his thin hand and touched her. Mary, he said, I wish I hadn't said what I did about sending Dickon away. I hated you when you said he was like an angel, and I laughed at you, but, but, perhaps he is. Well, it was rather funny to say it, she admitted frankly, because his nose does turn up, and he has a big mouth, and his clothes have patches all over them, and he talks broad Yorkshire, but, but, if an angel did come to Yorkshire and live on the moor, if there was a Yorkshire angel, I believe he'd understand the green things and know how to make them grow. And he would know how to talk to the wild creatures as Dickon does, and they'd know he was friends for sure. I shouldn't mind Dickon looking at me, said Colin. I want to see him. I'm glad you said that, answered Mary, because, because... Quite suddenly it came into her mind that this was the minute to tell him. Colin knew something new was coming. Because what? He cried eagerly. Mary was so anxious that she got up from her stool and came to him 
and caught hold of both his hands. Can I trust you? I trusted Dickon because birds trusted him. Can I trust you? For sure, for sure, she implored. Her face was so solemn that he almost whispered his answer. Yes, yes. Well, Dickon will come to see you tomorrow morning, and he'll bring his creatures with him. Oh, Colin cried out in delight. There is a door into the garden. I found it. It is under the ivy on the wall.